around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Last episode under this name. That's right. Next week is a big week. We start season three of Lower Decks and we change the name of the show. Yeah, the show is changing its name to The Greatest Discovery A. (laughs) Yeah, it's the movie refit. We're going to only be reviewing movies from here on in. (laughs) If only it were that easy. So many things going behind the scenes, creatively, artistically. Yeah. Professionally. It's it's a lot. I mean, and, and personally, like it's all yeah. leading up to uh, to our, our big uh, summer leave. Me for paternity, you for funsies. <laughs> we'll see if the funsies happen, dude. <laughs> I told you, Adam, you have to 100% Elden Ring. Yeah. I don't even know if Elden Ring is a game that keeps track of progress as a function of percentage. Yeah. But I don't even know if it's a good game. I've I've not played it. I like the idea of having to do like forced, like billable hours for recreation. That is what I need. <laughs> That's what you need. That's what I need to give you during the course of of your leave. Listen, if it's Horizon Forbidden West, that's fine. That's yeah. totally fine. I know you haven't played Zero Dawn. I know that some of the story will be a little bit confusing to you because of that, because it's one of the most story dense open world games I've ever played. I love how the names of these video games just sound made up to me. (laughs) Dawn of Time, New West. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a a poster for a movie that you see them, you know, standing in line in front of in Seinfeld. Like, that's what all video games are now. (laughs) Does the title of the game even matter anymore? I don't think so. It Mm. could be anything. Yeah, it really could be. I just, I want you to have some fun. I'm going to be wiping up poop. You need to have some fun for the both of us. You know what? I will. I'll do it for you, Ben. (laughs) Because that's the only way to get me to do anything is to guilt me into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be so disappointed in you if you don't have fun. I'm such a dumb fucking cow. (laughs) Adam, we have a, a pretty exciting episode here today. Oh, yeah. I mean, often we go into the full season rewatch eps as like it's kind of an arduous task it's hard to do among the rest of our duties it's a lot of watching all at once it, it's a lot of rewatching, and when it's a hour-long episodes that makes it hard mm-hmm. when they're like is a lot of eye trauma in the episodes that makes it hard when the shows aren't funny that makes it hard <laughs> but i think we're in agreement ben a full season lower decks rewatch Oh, it's nice. It is chill as hell. It's pretty chill. Yeah, I was stressed out about it, and then I sat down and knocked out like three on Monday, and I was like, oh, that was like a great lunch hour. Yeah. Here's another innovation I came up with for this rewatch, Adam. Yeah? Often uh, we watch these episodes very closely so that we can, you know, formulate thoughts, react in an informed way. This time, I think I watched Lower Decks for the first time Probably as the creators intended. <laughs> Popped a jazz gummy in my mouth. Watched the last half of the season. 
Wow. While it was uh, pretty heavily gummed. <laughs> and it was delightful. <laughs> you know what? That inspires a lot of questions. Not only do I have those questions of you, Ben, were I to have the occasion to ask the show's creator. Yeah. I would also like to know whether that only enhances the experience. I wonder what that would sound like, Adam. I think it might sound something like this. Mike McMahon, thanks for being on the show. We've been looking forward to talking to you for so long. I want to begin with a compliment and an insult. (laughs) (laughs) Great. The compliment is that we love your show. We love the show a lot, but we also know that Star Trek and comedy doesn't usually mix. How did you do this? <laughs> I mean, I think Star Trek and comedy have always mixed. I, I also, I'm very happy to be here with you guys, and and thank you for having me. I looked at my calendar today and was like, oh no, I have to talk about Star Trek for 45 minutes or whatever. This is. You know, like, <laughs> it's funny because like I think that what Roddenberry really created is this amazing TV format. Like he he took things that he loved and he made this type of TV that has obviously lasted for decades, right? And it keeps changing, but there's sort of a simple format within it, not just of the types of stories you tell, exploration, sci-fi, this kind of like pseudo-naval space scientist thing where like, I was always very calmed by being like, oh, if that happened at this act break, I know they're going to figure it out by this act break. And (laughs) like, you know, Star Trek fans, we're all rewatchers. Like you don't watch something once. You have the ones you put on for when you want to do laundry. You have the ones to put on when Mm -hmm. you want to rewatch it and obsess over it. You do the season rewatches. You do the series rewatches. Like, and the rewatchability and how TV it is, is like, you know, Star Trek just nails that because it's, it's a group of people you want to spend time with, you know, like yeah. they respect each other. They respect science. And like it got even in TOS, like really early on, there's a lot of comedy, like between Kirk Bones and Spock, especially like the human element of Star Trek has always relied on comedy to be something that adds to the the attachment you have with the characters. Why do you care? Why do the stakes matter? You know, why do I like these characters? What about them is personality that is worth having in a sci-fi environment. Do you know what I mean? Right. And then you get Jordy and Data and you get Worf and you get, you know, all of these funny character moments in TNG. And that's what I grew up with. And I yeah, remember telling Kurtzman, like, I want to do the Star Trek that's the B stories, like TNG season eight, you know? Sorry, longest yeah. answer, easiest question. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a great answer. We've been talking for hundreds of hours now across our couple of shows about Star Trek. And one of the things that Adam coined really early on is that Star Trek is a place and it's a place that you can tell lots of different types of stories. But your answer makes me realize that it's not just a place, but it's also the people. And I wonder how you thought about like what kinds of people would be the cast in Lower Decks, like what personality types you would infuse these characters with. Yeah. I mean, I was running Rick and Morty and I was developing Solar Opposites and I loved writing Rick and Morty. Like that job was such a blast to me. And it was always what will make Dan and Justin laugh. Like you're always writing up to them. Right. And then once you get into the episodes, it's Rick and Morty had the natural conflict of having that kind of Doc and Marty, like one person has knows what's going on and the other's being dragged along with and is saying, oh, geez. And 
<laughs> I think that like having grown up with Deep Space Nine and and although Deep Space Nine I didn't really get till I was older. Like I remember going back and being like, maybe I'll give this one another chance. And I started like right before the Dominion War kicked off. Like it was like mm-hmm. during the occupation. And I was like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? You know, it's so funny. Like <laughs> I loved the character Odo growing up. Hey, Mr. Bunker. Because half my family is Finnish and Odo is so Finnish. It's like, <laughs> he's so reserved and featureless, but also a badass. Like if you know any Finnish people, like half of them could turn you inside out. And the other half are just like, please don't talk to me. I'm, I'm doing my thing. And <laughs> his bucket's kind of the sauna. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The sauna life. Uh-huh. My grandfather had a sauna every house. Yeah. But then going back and watching Deep Space Nine and loving that, it was just like, it is a place. It is the characters. and. When I was creating Lower Decks characters, I was like, there has to be some sort of internal conflict to tell stories here. And I always just kept going back to the original Lower Decks episode because I loved that episode. That's why this all came about. And the internal conflict between those characters was always, we all want to do our best, but we have different ways of trying to get it. And that's still conflict. Like, two people don't have to want opposite things like they can want the same thing but one of them is book smart and uptight and a rule follower and doesn't know himself and the other one has been doing the starfleet thing for so long that she knows that like rules were meant to be broken and like even if that gets her in trouble like that was my original rick and morty so to speak and i think you see it in the beginning of like the first couple episodes of lord x like Mariner is a little bit more caustic, a little bit more drunk. Boimler is a little bit more of a rule follower, a little bit more of a baby about stuff. And like, I, I'll get into Teddy Rutherford in just a second. Unless if these are ever two deep dives, just say 10 degrees up bubble or something and I'll stop diving. <laughs> like, oh man, you're talking our language. <laughs> wow, you speak submarine too. I love submarine movies. This is great. <laughs> you know, because we're doing a streaming show where every episode had to feel like a standalone TNG episode, but also have light serialization, like, First season, when I was coming up with storylines, the writers, I was like, we got to the Crisis Point episode, and I knew that I wanted it to be like a Punisher kills the Marvel Universe, but on mm-hmm. the holodeck, like holodeck era kind of movie, mm-hmm. movie parody. And the movie parody aspect came last, actually. Like, it was like we were doing all this stuff, and I was like, what if we're also making fun of every Star Trek movie at the same time, in a way, but in a loving way? And then in doing that, the very last thing in the writing of it is it was like, well, wait, what if this is also... Mariner is her own bad guy. Like, why would somebody want to go around and phase everybody on the ship? Maybe this relates to why she's Boimler's foil. And that really opened up for me kind of like, I wasn't going to reveal at the end of first season to the crew that Mariner and her mom were related. And then we did the Crisis Point episode. And I was like, I changed gears. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do another season where this is a mystery that's being held. I want to open it up and find out how it changes the dynamic. And I'm really happy I did. It was something I'd never kind of dodged like that before in writing. So anyway, Mariner and Boimler foils both had to be good at Starfleet stuff, but both had to have problems because they weren't bridge officers yet, you know? And Tendi was on there because literally one of the secret hideout executives, Heather, was like, can we please have a character who it's their first day on the ship? You know, and I was like, it actually makes a lot of sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was like, God, I love the idea of Orions, but I never have felt like they've done the Orion I want to see. Like they've never warfed an Orion, Uh (laughs) you know? And I I didn't love the original belly dancer, sexy Orion mental projection stuff. And I didn't love 
the Enterprise retcon of that they emit sexual stink that makes men do things. Like I just like I don't like monocultures. Like I think Star Trek is big enough that you get to have the wharfs. Like that's more interesting or like yeah. Picard's little Romulan buddies. So Tendi got in there and I knew I wanted her to be like when I was casting Noel, I was like, I wrote a block of text just for the audition, which was tons of science stuff, but also talking about a dog that she likes <laughs> to see if you get this bright and sunny thing. And she did it so well, I was like, well, we have to make that into an episode. <laughs> She's a totally normal dog. Dogs are great. Go! And then Rutherford originally was going to be uh, Seinfeld. Like he was going to be a character that showed off the social side of being on a Starfleet ship and that he was going to go on a new date every week and he was going <laughs> to constantly have new girlfriends. <laughs> and then I wrote the pilot and I was like, wow, I hate this guy. <laughs> doesn't feel like Star Trek. Like, this is so weird to me. And at the end of um, the first episode, Rutherford originally breaks up with Barnes, like they're dating. And then he breaks up with her because he's like, eh, she kisses weird. And I was like, reading it, I was like, first off, I don't want to write a character that would do this. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It made sense uh, on a story circle, like on a Dan Harmon story circle, it made sense for it to happen, to have like a story end. But then I remember in an animatic, it got that far where I was like, I don't like this character. So I was like, what would be the most Starfleet reason to dump somebody? And I was like, oh, he gets distracted by some tech and he's not being romantic because he just <laughs> loves the ship more than making out with a date. <laughs> and then he gets to the bar and there's that little moment where, you know, we do the undercut of him telling Tendi why the date didn't work out. And she's like, oh, she's totally on his side. And that's when their friendship starts. And that wasn't going to be in the pilot. Like they were going to have to grow to become friends. And instead it was just like, no, this feels like Jordi and David. This feels good. So anyway, it was partial planning and partial finding. I really like that. I have been wondering for all the episodes that we've watched, like, I mean, you do such a great job of roasting funny things about Star Trek and recalling <laughs> beloved things about Star Trek and drawing on like every series that they've ever done to build these stories. Do you ever run into like rights clearances issues? Oh my God, <laughs> like that? Yeah. It's like a weird question, but like, no, like yeah. when you pull a character out from an old show, is that like complicated in a weird way? It is because there's, there's a bunch of stuff where it's like, I mean, Star Trek owns Star Trek, right? So like I kind of have access. It's, it's lower decks. I think like, I don't want to say how much it costs to make the episodes, but it costs like, I think about a 10th of the live action shows. So like wow. we're working like, Every nickel goes on screen in Lower Decks. Like, it's it's wild. And really, that's the artists and the editors and the directors. Like, I see some people being like, Lower Decks is my favorite Star Trek show. And I'm like, you know, I look back and I read stories about like, oh, we had to do beaming because in TOS, we couldn't afford to use the shuttle. And that's mm -hmm. like, and there's also a similar story where Superman can only fly because in the original Superman cartoon, they couldn't afford to like draw the jumping as much when yeah. he can jump from buildings. And I tell my teams that at the beginning where I'm like, we might not be the most expensive Star Trek show, but neither was the first Star Trek show. Sure. And constraints inspire great creative decisions. Yeah, exactly. And so if our heart's in the right place, it always works out. So legacy actors cost five times as much as a non-legacy actor. So like, how many can I use per season and <laughs> what is going to be the real reason to do so? Yeah. Because we don't want to just put them in there. And then if we show like that Miles O'Brien statue, you know, we have to pay to use his likeness. Yeah. Wow. So sometimes you'll see us dodge a little bit and be like, reference a character and there's a silhouette. 
That's like, hey, we ran out of budget choice. <laughs> That's funny. You know, like those data bottles, like we had to pay likeness rights for those. But at the same time, like it's worth it. People talk about Easter eggs and lower decks. But for me, you know, it is what Adam coined where it's like, it's a place. And to feel like you're in that place, like, look, I love Galaxy Quest, but like, I don't want it to feel like Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest feels like purposefully not Star Trek. Star Trek, right. but not, right? <laughs> and I'm not... I've never been interested in doing an almost Star Trek. Like I, the fun to me is the specificity of it. Yeah. So somebody else's fun Easter eggs are my, oh, look, we're watching a TNG episode and they're referencing Zephyrin Cochran. Like yeah. that's part of Star Trek to me. You really get the density right of that. Like yeah. I feel like your show could so easily be a pub quiz type of show where like the, the rapidity of the, oh, I get that reference yeah. could be too fast. Like how much thought did you put into the correct dosage for those things? You know, there's never been too much of a dosage of it because to me, it's designed for a viewer who's never seen Star Trek, which I know is hard for people to wrap their heads around. But mm -hmm. like when we were writing Rick and Morty, if the Marklar aliens show up and they've got a beam that makes your id come out and try to steal your car, <laughs> like you don't need to know if the Marklar aliens like are real. You just need to know what their stakes are for the episode, right? So like if you're new to watching Lower Decks and you've never seen Star Trek, you get what a Klingon is pretty fucking fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you get what a Dupler is pretty fast. <laughs> Duplers are like my dumber version of a Tribble in a fun yeah. way. Yeah, You get it. And so all of this stuff, some of it is to make the world feel rich. Like when Luke Skywalker goes into that cantina, they didn't need a bat drinking a Coke, but they put one in there because it's fucking <laughs> magical. And they don't explain. My new thing is complaining. My friends are, my, I have a couple drinks and I'm like, so you're telling me Luke worked on a moisture farm, but then he goes to a bar where a bat's drinking a Coke. Explain the fucking, what did he spend a billion dollars on that Coke? <laughs> anyway. It's a rich bat. <laughs> yeah. Very wealthy bat. Anyways, I like there being so much texture that it feels like a world that you could dive in forever. And my dream is that you've never seen Star Trek. You love Lower Decks. You go watch TNG and you find out exocomps were a thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. And like, like, wait, oh, that's so neat. But like, if you know everything about Star Trek and you watch Lower Decks, then yeah, it's going to feel like a giant crazy overload of references and Easter eggs. But like, that's, we're having a fun time. Like I used to hang out with my buddy in Chicago after college and we would argue about who on the 2004 Chicago Cubs starting lineup was who on the Enterprise. Like those <laughs> yeah, conversations are who I'm assuming are watching Lower Decks or yeah. Brand New Eyes. And you know, I think that like there's a sort of portion of people online who crib complaints from other things. And there was that South Park episode about member berries, right? And member berries is like, hey, look, we're going to remake RoboCop, but we're just going to not put any heart or thought into it. And we're going to make a bad version of RoboCop. But because it has the RoboCop font, we know you're going to pay and see it. That's member berries to me. Lower Decks isn't member berries. Lower Decks is Mariner and Boimler and Tendi and Rutherford and Captain Freeman and Shax. It's all of these characters that have these emotional stories and these, these sci-fi stories and these things that are going on that both are new but reflect on Star Trek and have this kind of like window dressing and fun of the world. And if you accuse that of being member berries, if you can't tell the difference between a cash grab and something like Lower Decks, then you're actively not paying attention. And you're not going to find a fun thing that is a miracle that it exists. It's interesting that you brought up South Park because 
I think the documentary about the creation of that show is really interesting. And it's probably my only foothold into what it's like to make an animated series. But I know the pace is different. And I'm so glad that it is for Lower Decks. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how production works. And like I've read a lot of things like about how many of the cast members met just recently because... Jack's never met Eugene. Yeah, it's like, wild. How difficult is it to build a writer's room remotely that, that works well together or to create a sense of fraternity among your cast members? Like You're faced with so many challenges, so many more challenges than a regular animated series would have. You know, I, I would push back on that and say that every series has these problems because like it's alchemy. It's not a science. I would love to say that I can read a pilot or I can cast somebody and know that everything's going to be exactly right. But a lot of it is, it's just got to come down to what feels right. What does somebody read like? You know, you have to be open to finding these things that are better than what you thought it was going to be, whether it's writers or, or actors or anything. And the, you know, the Zoom stuff was hard, especially at first, but it was less because we were over Zoom for writing and for acting and more because of stuff like latency or like, how scared people were that they were going to get COVID and die or like that they were going to not be able to pay their rent. Like it was a real big priority for me on both Solar Opposites and Lower Decks that when the pandemic hit, we didn't miss a day of work. We got everybody up and running so that like everybody kept their healthcare, everybody kept their work, nobody was in danger. You know what I mean? Like it was, and at the time that felt very hard. Like we dealt with stuff that like people are just going to forget about. Like there's a couple lines in Solar Opposites that we aired a week and a half after the pandemic hit after lockdown in LA where I had to have one of my actors record lines on his iPhone and they sound like shit. You know what I mean? And I remember like making my wife listen to that scene and she's like, I can't tell the difference. And I'm like, that one line sounds like shit. You know, like, and then like Netflix bought all the microphones in town so they could use them for home records. So like we couldn't find a microphone. Like, and then we were like, what if one of our actors gets COVID and can't speak? Like we just kept having to tell the network, like, we literally don't know if we're going to be able to air. We are just keeping our fingers crossed and we're still doing it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really, really lucky with this cast because there isn't a single person on the cast who isn't the most fun person I've ever met. When we go do events together, we literally like spend all day together doing the events. And then we all start texting, go, all right, well, where are we going to go to dinner? Where are we going to stay out late and drink? Like, I've never had that with universally with so much on one cast. And like, they record separately, but they'll be able to hear each other in their heads and be like, oh, I know how Jerry's going to say this. I know how Jack's going to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And they're all fans of the show. So like they read the scripts and I'll get texts from them being like, this is fucking awesome. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's got to feel great. And then I'll get like a text from Tony being like, Odo doesn't have a last name. His name is the Cardassian word that means unknown or something like that. And I'm like, don't give me that on the script. Like, <laughs> wow. You got well actually by the star of your show. Oh, dude. She she will happily and gleefully well actually. But like, that's amazing. Jack is new to Star Trek. So I get a different kind of text from him where he's like, I just watched this episode. And like, he'll need to talk about it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's awesome. Well, on the subject of production, our producer texted us a clip of audio from our episode about the moment when Boimler jumps into the cetacean ops pool so that he can swim down to the bottom and release the piece of hull plating. Yeah. And he dives into the unknown. 
Hmm? Yeah, we we talked a lot about how he kind of Phelpses his arms before yeah, he jumps in. Was, yes. We wondered aloud on that episode, like, how does a moment like that find its way on screen? Is that something that like the writer of that script wrote into it, or is that something you find in a table read or in because your show is so layered with things that sometimes feel like something an actor would just improvise if you were shooting it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's um combination of a couple things is like sometimes little things like that are in a script because it's tickling the writer and like it's it stays other times like we get so many what they call bites at the apple right like the first thing we get is the radio play and then we add like rough boards to that and then we refine those boards and then we refine those boards again and like you know we get them time locked and then they go out to our vancouver studio to actually get like animated and and everything be put together that we shipped from la and that phelps moment i remember was like at one point that's a really dramatic episode and we were looking for little bits of levity to kind of put in there and like at some point you can't have actors say anything anymore because it's literally like they're recording the boys or something and like can't do it so it's like I think that might have been Chris Kula, a producer at that point, was like, oh, it'd be funny if he just did the... Because that Phelps movement is so iconic that yeah, like yeah. you get it if you know it, but if you don't know it, it just looks like a guy getting ready to dive in and like putting little visuals like that. Like there was another one where I think it like animatic in the second episode of first season, Rutherford's in a fight and then I wanted him... I had just seen this movie that I loved called Upgrade and they did this thing where he would like sit up, but they would move the camera up at the same time with him. And it was this really cool kind of like choice. Uh-huh. And, uh, I had them slip one of those camera moves into the animation <laughs> of that fight sequence. It's like, whenever I'm like, should we do that? Is that Star Trek? I'm like, well, somebody who's a fan of Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind named an alien, the Nausicaans. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. It's all coming from somewhere. That's it. Man, that rules. <laughs> <laughs> What's the latest you're able to make a change on an episode before it gets sent to the studio? When's the last moment? Yeah. Now, if you would ask my line producer, it's like <laughs> two months earlier than when I'm still asking for changes. And sure. <laughs> because whatever you do is robbing people from the later episodes. Because like we're about to air season three in 10 days and we're still working on nine and 10. Yeah. We have weeks to work on those. And like, they're a little bit heavier CG, a little bit heavier kind of stuff happening in them as we often do. So I, the first thing I'll do is I'll try to put bigger quote unquote episodes later in the season to like give us a little more buffer time. And then that makes sense. The other thing is that we'll try to, I'll try to put an episode in. Like you might notice that like there'll be three big episodes and then an episode where they're on the ship the whole time. And then a couple more big episodes. It's like, I try to put in a pressure release, but then I'll try to do that and like, the artists will be like, this was our hardest episode. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't understand art like you guys do. But it's really, uh, before it airs, it has to go through like epilepsy checks and it has to go through like quality control at the studio of the network where they're like looking for like, you know, layers that might be misaligned or like have been turned off by somebody like along the way. Like I remember first season, there's like a bar stool got turned off by, <laughs> by somebody while they were adjusting something and it didn't get turned back on. So like, if you freeze frame somewhere, there's like a guy who's sitting on nothing, which that guy's <laughs> doing chair pose. I'll figure out a on for that. But the uh, <laughs> then it's like, you know, all the foreign language stuff has to go on there. Then all has to be translated. The ad breaks have to be checked. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. So yeah. like we have to get it in and delivered like a month early, I think. Uh-huh. So the last time I'm supposed to be able to make changes is right before the mix. 
Because if I make a change after the mix, then the editor has to open it up. The new timing has to go to the mix house. The yeah. audio engineer has to like change all of like, that's when the dominoes start to drop and people right. are like, please don't do this. So like, I'll make a mad scrap. I'm sure if my line producer listens to this, she'll be like, you fucking idiot. No, it's like <laughs> weeks before then. We're just so nice to you. But like, oh, your line producer is a huge fan of our podcast. I yeah. assure you. <laughs> she might be. Listen, we all listen to all this stuff. But like, she, her name's Megan Trevino. She rolls. But there comes a point where I'm not allowed to mess with it anymore. And it's like pencils down and I have to move on to the next thing. And it's probably about four weeks before air for the final episodes. Right. I could literally, like, I used to hate how Lucas and Spielberg would like go and mess with their stuff. And now I'm like, oh, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> It makes you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of retconning uh, weird old mistakes, that's another thing that we've really enjoyed about the series, finding joke reasons why, you know, <laughs> somebody has the wrong number of pips or whatever. <laughs> I also wonder, like, have you ever had somebody from the network level or the, I don't know, the studio level, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but like you're working on a show that is like sort of in the continuity, it is canon or whatever does that ever like get into conflict with a joke you want to do or a story you want to tell do you ever have to like walk back from something because somebody's like no because if you do this then it ruins ds9 season four episode six or whatever you know what i had a question about like going in the opposite direction so like how do you make sure you're not stepping on the toes of star trek shows in production right now continuity wise so it's a couple different answers to this there's only a couple people at the network who give notes on Lower Decks and our big Trek fans because I want to mix, right? Like you want people who are seeing it with new eyes, but also people who love Star Trek. It, it makes our lives a little easier for them to be like, like I remember having to explain what sickbay was to somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but at the same time, that's, you know, they refer to themselves as like, we're your first audience, right? And like, right. that's actually pretty helpful. There's nobody really saying that's going to mess up something from Deep Space Nine because it's kind of never come up because like that's me. That's like why I wanted to do the show. Right. John Ben Sitters, who's worked with CBS and Star Trek for a long time, I always make sure a draft of the script gets to him before we record and Dayton Worth as well for that kind of stuff where I'll be like, this one shot, I want to have Mariners talk about a blast shield, but is blast shield something that Star Trek could have? You know what I mean? And like, then we talk about it at length and it turns into one of those like who are the Chicago Cubs would be Riker. But anyway, um, <laughs> at the same time, some of the other shows are closer to us, like Prodigy and Picard are pretty close to us, right? And there's events of Picard that we would run into pretty fast if I didn't slow our roll um, with the star dates. Those I worry more about than Discovery, which took place so far before and then jumped so far after, you know, or Straight to the World. Yeah, right. With the crossover episode being a different situation, I worried greatly about that one, but that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So when Picard went back to our present time for an entire season, was that just like a huge relief? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, oh, sweet. They're not going to, I'll still be able to use Orion's. That's nice. You know, or whatever. <laughs> but no, we, you know, I really respect and love getting to be a part of this huge cast of different show creators and different voices, like whether it's Akiba or Henry or, or Terry or anybody, you know what I mean? Or, or Michelle, like, it's interesting. Like we'll sit down multiple times a year and be like, all right, this is what we're doing this year. This is this, this is what's important here. And that'll be a chance for me to be like, oh, we were going to use somebody like this. How are you going to use them? And like with this, like everybody's always like, oh, are you going to step on each other's toes? But usually it's like, can we make this work together? So it's a big plan. Wow. Yeah. 
There have been a couple times where like Picard went through rewrites and stuff and you're figuring stuff out and ours was already in the can like early on. So it's like, oh, Riker saved the day twice, which was news <laughs> to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like at the same time, it's like we're all playing with a similar tool set and like right. I love these same characters, which is the more I can stick to the lower decks characters and not the legacy characters. That's why like second season you see that like we go back to Captain Gomez as opposed to like a main character from TNG or something like that. That being said, you'll see some cool stuff. I mean, like in season three, Adam, you saw the cameo in the first episode, which is like, nobody's going to touch that moment except for us. And it's like, we can dodge a little bit. I'm being very spoiler. Uh, careful. <laughs> Got to be super careful. We get, <laughs> we hear about it all the time. <laughs> we had an audiogram go out that like spoiled something from like episode nine of strange new worlds and just got lit on fire on Twitter for a day. Yeah. People want to watch it the first time, you know, but they also want to hear about Star Trek all the time. I get it. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. 
I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? I think the decision about centering the pack leads as the heavy <laughs> was really interesting to me. And I wonder how you arrive at the decision of like elevating a minor alien character and really like taking on their canon, like yeah, seeing that as an opportunity for world building with them where, I mean, there are so many other areas you could have gone. I think your choice in the pack leads was great and rich, but like who else was considered for that role? You know, it's funny. It was always going to be the pack leads because I didn't know what that episode was going to be about until I sat down to outline it. And each episode of the first season was based on the thought of what are we doing here? I want our characters to experience classic Star Trek type episodes. So it's like, oh, a, an outbreak virus on the ship or like, you know, oh no, the um, trial episode, you know, the movie Holog Holodeck malfunction. Yeah. And we got to the end of the season and I'm like, what have we not covered yet that I feel like needs to be in a first season? And I was like, oh, we haven't done an episode that's like a a pretty clear societal political metaphor. You know, like we didn't do an episode yet that said something and that's the least expected thing for Lower Decks to do mm -hmm. at that point. And so I had just been listening to like a lot of podcasts and stuff about like the rise of fascism in Europe and how it felt like it was coming for us too. And, and obviously it, it tried to and is still trying to. And so I was like, okay, what is the identity of fascism to me right now, now that I'm living in it, now that it's not in a textbook? Mm -hmm. People that are so stupid and lazy, like their evilness is in a comedically laid back, like ain't I a stinker right. veneer. Yeah. That that's how they kind of like creep through the radar a little bit. So I was like, okay, if we're going to have a, a big bad, I need one that's like stupid. And I was like, what's something <laughs> we haven't seen before? Because there'd been, remember, there'd been like 700 something episodes of Star Trek before Lower Decks, right? And something that used to happen all the time is like you're writing Voyager and you're like, wow, we have a great idea for an episode. It's like, ah, fine, they already did this, you know? Like, <laughs> And that's never been a problem for Lower Decks because we get to do our version of everything that came before. Like that's, that's our Vin Diesel activate the NOS as opposed <laughs> to like the topopic breaks, you know? And so I was like, let's bring back some one-off alien as, you know, a big bad. And partially it's that I have a couple favorite episodes of TNG and, you know, the Packleds are in one, the Exocomps are in one. It's like, you know, everybody has like a pet favorite thing they talk about. We all mm -hmm. love Beverly Crusher's fuck lamp mm -hmm. and like all of <laughs> Tuvix, you know what I mean? But yeah. like, there's also episodes that like 
that's your episode. You know what I mean? And like quality of life is one of them. And Survivors is mine. I just want to say. What is yours? Survivors is mine. I'm the world's ah, foremost nice. Kevin Uxbridge expert over here. <laughs> I've got a couple Enterprise episodes, which I'm like, those are my pet episodes. I love those episodes. Nice. But I knew I had wanted to use the pack clouds. And then I was like, oh, they can be our unexpectedly powerful fascists because nobody was paying attention to them character. And then I was like, hey, fuck it. If I'm going to have them in an episode, I want an exocomp in here too. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's where Peanut Hammer came from. And then, of course, she uh, she does inevitably what the exocomps that was doing, uh, uh, protects her own skin at the end of the day. And originally, it was going to be a different bad guy in that episode instead of Badgie. Mm-hmm. Badgie was actually a secret hideout note because originally it was going to be the Drukmani scavengers that uh, Fletcher's robot had gone and like bonked into their ship. It was going to be those guys came back and the Fletcher robot would have gotten really smart, kind of like Beecher style. Like it would have pulled in because those guys are like <laughs> crab aliens and they pull in a lot of technology from other species. And it was going to be the Fletcher bot had kind of like taken over a little bit and they were going to have to go to Earth and get Fletcher. Mm-hmm. And Secret Hideout was like, we don't want more Fletcher. <laughs> a little bit of Fletcher goes a long way. And so I switched it to Banerjee and instead of the Drukmani, I switched it to the packlets because I was like, oh, they could be pulling in the technology from all these different yeah. air snared species. And I think it, that's one of those notes that it's like, yeah, that worked out a lot better. Like instead of retreading, it was cool to do that. And like, I don't know, I love taking like Sonia Gomez as well, like characters that are important to me and then getting to play with them in a way you haven't seen before. We're doing that a lot in season four. And like that's part of the fun of Lower Dexter. That's great. Yeah, that's part of the fun for us, too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the show. It really rules. And we're so excited for, for season three and season four. Thank you. I It still feels like a miracle that I get to make this show. And, like, <laughs> you know, we released that first trailer and just, like, everybody was like, oh, fuck this. This is going to be the worst thing that's ever made. And then slowly people watching the first season were like, wait, could this be? be fun and good and then like <laughs> second season came out and i was like oh my god all that work we did people are actually liking it like we're making the show to make people happy and to enjoy it you know what i mean yeah. and now we like get on stage at mission chicago and the audience i like was backstage and i was like tony you should ask them to chant lower decks for fun at the end of this <laughs> and we get out on stage and they start chanting lower decks without us asking you know what wow. I mean? Like, <laughs> we're doing this because we love Star Trek, because we love making comedy, we love making animated shows. And like, it's insane that we get to be as specific as we are and that we get to do the show that we're making. For everybody that loves it out there, like, I'm doing it for you guys. Like, we're seeing the response. We love making it. I think every season is like improving and growing. Um, not only the comedy and, and the, the, the art keeps looking even better, but also just like the stories that we're telling with these characters and, I especially can't wait. Like there's some amazing stuff season three and some really fantastic, like surprising stuff season four. And I just, you know, I'll keep making this show as long as they're going to let me. Like I love, I love that we have all this new Star Trek and I can't believe I got to make one, you know? Well, you know, you're working on season four now. If at any point a couple of characters need to get blown out of an airlock or, you know, blown into space in any way, uh-huh. uh, you have a couple of willing voice actors who have, pledge to uh, donate anything you have to pay us to charity we're at your service well if you're getting blown out the airlock question yes can you guys go 
I mean, we can't do it the way Jack Quaid does it, but we he's can try. The king. He's the he's king. the best. Justin Roiland is the best at burping, and Jack is the best at screaming in panic. Was Jack asked to give some screams in the auditioning process, or like, how did you find that? You know, I asked to give it to him. Absolutely not. Jack, when he auditioned, was like, oh, yeah, he plays such like an earnest, Starfleet sounding officer, <laughs> but like not like a tough guy. You know what I mean? Like, right. Even when he sounds tough, it's like, oh, he's trying to sound tough, like in a good way. Like, he's really likable. And he was a good foil for Mariner because he wanted Mariner to be like this, like, wave of information and action and stuff hitting him while he's just trying to, like, do his little pretend captain's log in the closet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Jack is such a good voice actor that I kind of hired him for like the more sedate, like foil stuff. But then really quick season one, he was so funny in the booth and made the character so much better than I was writing it. That then I started writing it like how I would hope that was utilizing him better. And the screaming is like, it's so fucking funny when he screams. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it really is. We have a bank of his screams that like the editor will drop in and it just makes us seem funnier. <laughs> anyway, Man. I know we get accused of like talking fast and screaming too much, but like, guess what? Uh, none of us can afford houses anymore. We got to do something fun. So, <laughs> oh man, it's really terrific. We just really appreciate you taking all the time to talk to us today, Mike McMahon. Tell the people how they can find Lower Deck Season Three. Lower Deck Season Three is coming August twenty fifth on the Paramount Plus application. You can access it through internet enabled devices. Huh. Highly recommend you get it for your mom <laughs> and dad because most of the shows on it are made for them, but they got Butthead <laughs> now, they got South Park. They're starting to make it a little less cobwebby in there, which is exciting. Uh -huh. All the Star Trek is on there, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. Log into the old Paramount Plus app on August 25th, or really probably August 24th in the middle of the night. And then uh, every week after that, for nine weeks, you'll have brand new, fresh, funny Star Trek coming your way. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, guys. We know you're a busy guy, so we'll let you go here. I hope you enjoy the season, and uh, let's do this again when season four starts lurking next year. Yeah. That'd be great. This was a, a real hoot. Thank you so much. It was a uh, hoot on my side as well. Wow. Well, a great conversation with Mike McMahon. We're kind of on a pretty fun run of great interviews <laughs> with Star Trek luminaries, huh? It's, it's true. Two interviews. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'd define that as a run. It's more than we normally do, yeah. Yeah. And one thing I really like about this show is that we have a looser format and uh, it's easier to come up with ways to to get these done. Yeah, making the space for interesting ideas. Probably the last interview we'll ever do. Mm, yeah. Given the pace of new Star Trek play here. Yeah, it's an onslaught, but uh, <laughs> that was a hoot. Adam, do you want to get into just kind of recapping season two, talking about what season two was all about in anticipation of season three. Love to, Ben. How long did it take you to uh, to squish all these eps? It sounds like two days. Was it two days? Uh, I think it was three days. I think I, I watched like the first three on Monday, a couple more on Tuesday, jazz gum, and the remainder on Wednesday. <laughs> three days was also... My run, and that was about perfect. Yeah, it was real risky move on my part because that jazz gum lasted till well after the final episode was over, and mm. there was like a chance that we had a birth class 
coming up that <laughs> evening, which I, I knew was sort of on the bubble. Like the instructor had told us that she was probably going to have to cancel. So I was like, eh, like worst case, I'm a little bit high for birth class. <laughs> But I lucked out. It got canceled. I feel like you should be high for birth class, right? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How many birth classes does it take to be ready for birth? I mean, I think that you could probably take a million and still not really be prepared. I was going to say, it's got to be like a martial arts class. Yeah. You just keep fighting your instructor mm -hmm. until... <laughs> We've been training on the holodeck at night. You might want to take off the kid gloves. I've got a white belt with one yellow stripe on it right now. <laughs> and, uh... Hey, that yellow belt's what got you into this whole mess, Ben. Put it, put, put it this way. If I got into a street fight now, I would get my ass handed to me. <laughs> you wow. Best of luck to you, Ben. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun rewatch. Did you take it all down this week? I did. It's such a comforting night watch, specifically. Like, I want to say that. Like, it is very distinct from the other new Star Trek shows in a lot of obvious ways, but in also some minor ways. Like, what would you rather watch when you're winding down before bed? Hmm. Eye trauma and parent <laughs> issues? Or even some of the high anxiety, high action stuff of A Strange New World? Probably not. This is like a episode of a syndicated comedy. Right. Like a Seinfeld or a or, or a Frasier, like some sort of comfort watch before bed that I really found soothing. I did too. And I wasn't even jazz gummed up. Yeah. Well, you fucked up. Yeah. You should have been. Drugs can make you feel good. I mean, not every night. <laughs> some nights. <laughs> I feel like I had just about forgotten everything that happened and I was like trying to like, I was remembering, like, episode premises, and I was like, is mm -hmm. that a season one episode premise, or was that more of season two? But it was also just fun to rewatch, because, like, I, so much of it had left my mind that uh, it was it was good to refamiliarize myself with the settings and characters. Yeah. It made me appreciate the trailer that we've seen for season three even more, because I feel like so much of what's happening in season two is really like firming up the world that this show has created for itself so that now when we go to a Deep Space Nine or whatever, it won't feel like it is just cheap heat for fan service, but in fact, like a part of this universe that these characters inhabit and that, you know, Mariner was stationed there for a while. So like, yeah, that's going to be an interesting way to experience those things. And, and I think that it was pretty restrained and careful of the show not to do too many of those things early on in its run. Right. My memory was that the season was far more serialized than it was because the main takeaway from last season was Freeman getting arrested in the at the end. Whoa, was, spoiler alert, dude. And I was very surprised that the first whiffs of that didn't occur until like halfway or after halfway through the season. Yeah. That wasn't really even part of it. The, like, pack-led threat being a thing that is kind of happening off-camera a lot in mm -hmm. season two mostly feels like throwaway jokes. Like, here's what the Titan is doing. It's exciting and scary. Yeah. Relative to what the Cerritos is doing. It really made me appreciate how that story unfolded, seeing it again in this way. Yeah. Because that stuff wasn't throwaway material. It certainly wasn't. And it does feel like... The writing on season two was setting up lots of potential where 
like not all of that potential is used immediately. I feel like it's it it's setting up potential in the world that it's intentionally not using. Right. I mean, if you want to have your show go eight seasons, <laughs> if you want to have your show go seven seasons in a movie, yeah, or whatever, that's the sort of efficiency you want, right? It is. And I wonder if they ever talk about what a Lower Decks movie could look like in this room. It's not a perfect analogy, but if you can have a Bob's Burgers movie, why couldn't you have a Lower Decks movie? Yeah, I didn't even know there was a Bob's Burgers movie, but that's a... <laughs> you could stream it right now, Ben. Oh, wow. I've, I've, uh, I've not seen much of that show. Oh, no. No, no. Should I? A lot of people really like it. I mean, it's H. John Benjamin. You like that guy. I do. appreciate uh, Eugene Merman. I appreciate Kristen Schaal. I think they're involved. And with, uh, I mean, Paramount slash CBS kind of has a lot of money to spend, looks like. It seems that way, yeah. And it seems like probably with the success of Strange New Worlds, especially, like they will be interested in investing that stuff in the Star Trek franchise. So, yeah, let's uh, let's keep our fingers crossed that something happens there. Yeah. What were some other takeaways for you? I thought a lot about which series and what things they choose to reference in their more referential humor on this show. All right, I'm sorry I left you on SETI Alpha. I really thought there was life there. The humor of this show really runs the gamut. Like, there's really, like, great character-based humor that's, like, funny because only a Boehm's would do a thing like that. Uh, I knew we should have brought the scans. You know, I think that a comedy that doesn't have that is probably going to fail as a comedy, but this show also has the situation humor and the reference humor figured out. So it, it can really kind of attack a joke from a lot of different angles. And I think it's very interesting how... This show, like, it's very couched in TNG specifically as its, like, main joke reference, which I think is why we have responded so well to it, because that's our main joke reference also. But also, it has a lot of fun kind of needling Star Trek about some of its lesser moments. So the, like, Sherry Yenyeb character. There's lots of animated series jokes all through this season. (laughs) That's one of my faves. I noticed that there were relatively fewer DS9 and Star Trek Enterprise jokes yeah. through this season. And I wonder if that's something that they'll start to mine more or if those feel like more serious shows that aren't as fun. Like, I think that I was I was just kind of thinking about it like, oh, like there's a whole Tom Paris joke episode. And I think that you and I have been finding in our Voyager coverage over on our hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, that Voyager is easier to make a comedy podcast out of than Deep Space Nine was. Absolutely. Because it has a lighter tone. And that sort of feels like maybe the same deal for Lower Decks. Like maybe referencing DS9 just doesn't yield as much comedy benefit as, uh, as referencing Tom Paris. Am I making any sense here? The show is also really careful about not making fun of the sincere 
parts that don't work about Star Trek and instead making fun of the silly parts that don't work about Star Trek. Right. You guys are what, some creepy throwback last outpost style Ferengi? You ever heard of Quark? Of course I've heard of Quark. And so much of what makes Deep Space Nine great is its sincerity. Right. You know, like I do feel like Lower Decks could make fun of a Vic Fontaine and has before. Sure. You know, those sort of sillier elements to all of the Star Trek series, I think are fair game. But I don't think this show would ever go for Dax's death and replacement with Ezri in the same way. Right. Yeah, that's definitely like a a line that they seem pretty unwilling to cross. And yeah. In a way that I think we appreciate. Like sometimes comedy can come from crossing a line, and that's something that this show does too. But like it definitely like slams old episodes occasionally the Mugato Gumato episode mm-hmm. where they're they just like totally roast the multiple different pronunciations for Mugatos right isn't that neat and inconsistent mm. but that's fun because the original premise and the original story didn't take that aspect seriously to begin with right right it was just a bunch of actors going like how the fuck do you say this who cares <laughs> just do the show I wonder if that's the friction so many people have with a Star Trek Picard or a Star Trek Discovery and that so many of the references reference the sincere Hmm. and change the feelings about those moments. Right. You know, for better or worse, that I wonder if that's what makes those elements more third rail-y to your more sensitive Star Trek fan than on a lower decks where it's very strategic in what it chooses to send up versus not. Yeah. I am a skin of evil. More like a puddle of (laughs) I read something. I wish I could remember who made this Twitter thread, but somebody wrote something several months ago on Twitter that I've thought a lot about since, which basically made the case that one of the things that doesn't work as well in Picard and Discovery is that they're very focused on character development as kind of a central goal of an episode. And there really wasn't much, like, characters didn't change that much in TNG and TOS. Like, right. they were kind of archetypes, and it was the the new scenario each week that would be the interesting thing about the show. It wasn't about somebody realizing that their hatred for their dad is partly based on a misunderstanding they had as a child and like processing that and then becoming a new person because of having, you know, like that's not. But like Ben, in hearing you describe it that way, I'm trying to imagine a conversation where I'm like, hey, what was that episode about? And having that be the answer to that question instead of the discovery goes and prevents a star from going Nova. Right. The high wire act of Lower Decks especially in season two, is that there is this big like season spanning arc, but they really push it to the background. And it seems like there's lots of opportunities for the characters to change, but the changes are really subtle. And for the most part, it is a reset and new scenario each week kind of show. And the conflict so often is characters who don't want to change and encourage each other not to. Right, right. Like, resist the change. We're lower decks. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't want to be like those other people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I had a great time in my rewatch. Um, really looking forward to season three. 
I, I know Wendy has already watched a whole bunch of season three screeners and uh, I haven't even had time yet. I'm I'm jealous. Well, I want to get into it. Hopefully as the season goes on and that she's so far ahead of us, she can edit us into being smart. <laughs> she can edit us out of the ditch, hopefully, yeah. oh. conversationally. That would be great for us. Um, well, do you want to get into our Priority One inbox, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Patrick and Janelle. Hmm. It is to Wesley. The boy. Message goes like this. Happy third birthday, Wesley, from your mother and I. My son. Wow. Little did you know that you were in fact named after Wesley Crusher. (laughs) Also, the first time your mother and I got down was to an episode of TNG. (laughs) Just going to put a pin in that for a moment to ask Patrick and Janelle, what episode? Yeah, you got to include which episode. That is crucial information. (laughs) Like, (laughs) was it something with some knuck or was it there are four lights? Yeah. How much Nuck was in the episode that you got down to? And did the Nuck inspire the get down? Something we want to know. But seriously, I love that we get to share Star Trek with you and your sisters now via Lower Decks and Prodigy. Live long and prosper. We love you. Wow. Uh, I can't imagine my parents telling me what show was on TV when I was conceived, but... uh, Patrick and Janelle, they're doing it right. They named their kid Wesley. That was my dream when I was a kid. Such a dream that you made it real, Ben. (laughs) How great is this, like, raising a family in Star Trek? I think I was raised kind of incidentally into Star Trek, like, without this sort of focus. Right. But uh, can do a lot worse than what Patrick and Janelle are doing. I mean, getting it on to... uh, (laughs) What's the awful second episode that we don't talk about? uh, Getting it on a coat of honor. (laughs) Ooh, that spiky bird is really turning my crank. Yeah. If you can get over the top during coat of honor, you could do it just about anywhere. The challenge is unequivocally refused. Then you shall have no treaty, no vaccine, and no Lieutenant Yard. Yeah. Uh, Adam, our next... Priority One message here is from Andy K. It's to us. Goes like this. Hey guys, I just finished rewatching all of TGG slash D, so I wanted to throw you some latinum for all the laughs. And ask a question. If Big Rod asked you to write a script for The Return of Kevin Uxbridge, which series would you bring him back in? What would be your elevator pitch for the episode? Thanks for all the pod. I mean, this is a concept that I'm working on. I just haven't gotten it out of my brains. I think it's Lower Decks for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think the the comedy potential of Kevin Uxbridge is something that we've both been really focused on for a long time. I don't know if I want to share my notes because I I do have an outline for this. Wow. I just need to put it together. Are you going to get our friend slash agent to send the script across to, uh, (laughs) to the powers that be? I think that would be the way to do it. I mean, what's crazy, what I never thought possible is how few degrees of separation we are 
yeah. from someone who could actually read our stupid ideas. So <laughs> I, I think it's possible slash probable. But uh, I think the idea of taking a meeting about Kevin Uxridge would be a real thrill. <laughs> and I would like to do that. I look forward to it, Andy Kay. Yeah, Andy Kay, if you know anybody inside the pocket, like, listen, man, I want to visit inside the pocket. I don't want to live there. Absolutely, yeah. I would love to go on a vacation where uh, where Adam sells a script to to the pocket. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be tremendous. I want to see my name in in the Star Trek script <laughs> in the credits. That'd be a thrill. Yeah. Is there anything in your notes about a couple of handsome young ensigns getting blown out of an airlock or like out into space when the hull separates? I mean, that's just a two for one in my mind, Ben. Yeah, yeah. If they buy the story, then that's going to be a big part of it. Wow. I mean, not a big part of it. That's just something that ends up happening. The Friends of DeSoto would go crazy over that. That would be so exciting. It wouldn't be Ensign Lance. It would be me and you. Yeah, right. We must protect Ensign Lance at all costs. (laughs) Wow. Well, if you'd like to get a Priority One message, head over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message, and it really helps us with the costs of producing this show. Adam, in your rewatch of season two of Lower Decks, did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? It is difficult for me to choose against Boimler because Boimler <laughs> so often is the baby at the bottom of the well. Like, Boimler is the character that really feels like the locus of story or of tension or of challenge or whatever. Right. And it's weird to say, like, his unhappiness or stress is really where a lot of comedy comes from. (laughs) It's one of the things I enjoy the most about this show is his suffering (laughs) (laughs) and his redemption. Yeah, I think for that reason, I'm going to make Bradward Boimler... My Edward Larkin. What about you? I mean, I was coming into this expecting to call myself the Edward Larkin, Adam, because I felt like uh, enjoying this show while jazz gummed <laughs> really unlocked something for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's so much fun to watch without that. And then you didn't tell acquaintance of the show, Mike McMahon, any of that, I noticed. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what... Uh, what helped me back from bringing that up? But uh, I think that I'm going to give my Larkin to the Cetaceans and Cetacean Ops. Yeah. Because I think that they are kind of emblematic of a thing that has happened with this show, which is a joke that almost feels like it was conceived as a throwaway, like this will be funny, but we're not planning on doing much with it kind mm-hmm. of joke really starts to feel like it like takes on a life of its own. And the and Cetacean Ops really did that in season two for me. And I just cannot imagine them not going back to Cetacean Ops repeatedly in the future because of how funny that stuff was. So for just kind of like stealing a, a season in a way, the Cetacean Ops characters, whose names I should probably know, but I don't. Oh, come on. <laughs> what are they? Isn't it... Uh... Matt and uh, and Kamalu. Matt and Kamalu. So, so Matt and Kamalu are my uh, 
are my Larkins for season two. In addition to myself. Yeah. <laughs> they really bring it. They really do. They're so horny. Yeah. Well, Adam, this is the last episode of The Greatest Discovery. I hope folks will tune in next time for Greatest Trek, which starts next week with the first episode of season three of Lower Decks. Can't wait. And it'll be Greatest Trek going forward, and it's going to continue to be the show where we review all of the new Star Trek stuff and uh, play in the sandbox. And I think uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff planned for it. So I hope folks will tune in and recommend it to a friend. It's going to sound a lot like the old podcast that you know and love. It's going to be on the same feed. Like nobody has to do anything or worry about anything. Yeah, it's just a fresh coat of paint, right? Yeah, it is. So get excited. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's throw the keys to the pod car over to Wendy to take it home. We're not safe to drive at this point, (laughs) you know? You aren't. Your gummy consumption. Yeah, it's gotten out of control. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Coming up on the show next week, it's Lower Deck's season three premiere. It's called Grounded. Mariner enlists her friends on a rogue mission to exonerate her mother as Captain Freeman faces a military tribunal for the destruction of Paclid Planet. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for the original music that we use on this show. He's got a podcast and a YouTube cooking channel. Just search for Adam Ragusea. And thanks to Bill Tilly. He manages the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. And lastly, a big thanks to Nick Ditmore, who's been working really hard on all the new art for Greatest Trek. And you'll get to see that next week. If you want to support the show and get your message out on an upcoming episode, now's a great time to get a P1. You can set that up at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. What are we talking about? Am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. yes. Let her rip. We encourage it. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.